Have you always felt a little odd, a little different? The world is crying out for witches to heal and to rebuild. But do you hear its call and will you answer? This is a space for free thinking, where I give you tools to explore and build your craft. We all have a divine spark. Join me each week and grow that spark into a fiery beacon. I am your host, Michael Moorcroft, and I'll be bringing you a one-on-one guide to all things witchcraft and spirituality. This is The Major's Well. Hey Majors, welcome back. This week we're looking at another pagan festival as part of the Wheel of the Year series. But first, let's have a look at the week ahead. The 20th is Cheese Lover's Day. Pre-vegan, I loved a good Stilton. It had to be with poppy seed crackers though. Sweet Jesus, this was good. January 21st, we have a dark moon, but it's a super one, meaning the moon is a little closer than usual to the Earth. It's a very powerful night, and if you're wondering if you should dust off the spellbook and do something magical, make it on the 21st. Also, if you need ideas on what to do with the Dark Moon, you can check out my Dark Moon episode. The 21st is also the Chinese Spring Festival. A huge banquet is traditionally thrown called a happy gathering, where people enjoy traditional family dishes and each member of the family must offer a sacrifice to their ancestors. Chinese New Year is on the 22nd, And then we've got National Handwriting Day on the 23rd, encouraging us to put our thoughts on paper. Get that journal out, maybe some cheeky shadow work, eh? If you want some pointers on what to do with shadow work, I've also got an episode on that. And that's it. That's your week. Now, on to the show. Falling on February 1st and ending on the night of the 2nd, we've got Imolk. It often gets mispronounced as Imbolc, but Imolk is the old Gaelic-Irish way of saying it. And this day falls on August 1st and ending on the 2nd if you are listening in the Southern Hemisphere. This is one of the major sabbats of the Wheel of the Year and one of the four fire festivals. You might remember I broke all of this down on the Yule episode. It also marks a time where a month and a half into winter, the days are beginning to become visibly longer and light is returning to our world. It's seen as the beginning of spring or the height of winter, depending on the climate where you live. Now, Imolk is a cross-quarter holiday, meaning it's a date in between a solstice, which is when the sun appears to reach its most northerly or southerly excursion, and an equinox, the two days in the year when day and night are of equal length. And celebrations of Imolk traditionally began at sundown on the first day, lasting till the next sunset. Let's have a look at its name and origins, curiously named Imolk is understood to mean purification. The popular but etymologically inaccurate translation is in the belly or in the womb, given the time of year when cattle are giving birth. However, it is more likely to mean something like lactation, 
Another possible meaning is to wash or cleanse oneself, hence the link to purification I just mentioned. The word imolk, it only shows up in Ireland, and an alternative name for the festival is oven. I think this is how it's pronounced. It's Irish Gaelic, and there's not a lot of guidelines around how to pronounce that word. This word that I may have butchered is believed to mean ewe's milk, as sheep's milk would have only been available this time of year with cows coming later. Now, the first time Imolk is mentioned is around the 10th or the 11th century, and it's recorded by Irish monks. Now, looking at these records, it looks like it was a celebration of the birth of farm animals and the milk that followed this. We have no idea if other parts of the Gaelic world celebrated this festival. We actually don't know a lot about ancient Imolk practices. Today, it's generally seen as a celebration of women and femininity. But what rituals and traditions can we incorporate? Well, Bridget, an Irish Gaelic goddess, is massively linked to the festival. And just like Imolk, we're unsure how widespread she was worshipped. She seems to have a big presence in Kildare, in the Republic of Ireland. It's unknown if she was worshipped throughout Ireland and the rest of the Gaelic world. Bridget is also associated with healing, smithcraft, poetry, animal husbandry, dairy production, and the domestic arts, just to name a few. She's a very wide, encompassing goddess. She's also heavily linked to fire as well, and there's lots of healing wells linked to her. You can check out my episode on sacred wells to learn more about this. And quite a nice thing you could do around a monk is you could see if you have a well bearing her name close to you. You could clean and decorate it. Again, check out my Sacred Wells episode for more information. Alternatively, you could fill a cauldron with spring water and make offerings to it. We also have St. Bridget, which is said to be the ancient goddess who syncretized into a Catholic saint. This is a popular view, but it can be a problematic one. Now, historically, British scholars, when looking at Ireland, they often did so through a class, xenophobic and misogynistic lens. Irish people were sometimes seen as this barbarous subrace of people, which the English used to justify their brutal rule over them until 1921. Shockingly out of character for Britain. <laughs> There's arguments that it's disrespectful to Irish women, with this idea that St. Bridget couldn't possibly be an Irish woman, and it has to be a deity instead. If you want more of an explanation of the saints and the roles they occupy, you can check out my episode on the patron saints of witchcraft. Now, adding to the mix is the fact that both of these entities, Bridget the Saint and Bridget the Goddess, bear 41 different names. I tend to look at the saint and the goddess as different entities, and when speaking about Bridget, I'll clarify which one I'm talking about. So, Bridget, the saint, and the deity, they tend to be honoured around Imolk. We also have the tradition of weaving a Bridget's cross out of reeds or grasses around this time. Now, this first pops up around the 17th century. It comes from the Saint Bridget Although there's aspects linked to the goddess as well, it's very murky, and the origin stories for the cross are murky as well. A popular one goes that St. Bridget was called to a pagan chieftain's deathbed in the hopes the saint could soothe him and ease his passing. 
So she sits with him and consoles him, bringing up some rushes used to cover the floor. She begins to weave them into a cross pattern. Now, whilst doing so, she explains the meaning of the cross to him. And he's so taken by what she says that he asks her to baptize him. Doing so, he then dies. It's customary on the eve of her feast day, February 1st, for rushes to be fashioned into a St. Bridget's cross and placed over the door while reciting, May we be safe from every evil and harm on land and sea, whereby it then acts as a talisman of blessings and wards against disease within the household as well. There are some rules around the cross in that the rushes must be pulled up, they are not to be cut on the eve of a feast, And when harvesting herbs and other plants, you do see this come up quite a lot. And it's a general rule that this is to stop the plant coming into contact with iron, which is thought would scare the spirits away. And the rushes must also be woven left to right to mimic the sun's passage. Now, once completed, it must be left above the door to provide blessings until next year when it's replaced by a new one. And the old ones, they were traditionally stored in the rafters of the home, and they showed how many years the parents of the family had been married. I also came across a tradition that newly married couples would take these old crosses and take it into their new home as sort of like this continuation of happiness and to sort of add stability and legitimacy, I guess, to the to the new union. And if these crosses rot or break down, they're then buried into the land to bless it, or they were burnt and the ashes were used for healing purposes. There's also a technique to it that I'm not even going to try to explain to you. There's loads of videos and demonstrations online that you can easily follow. There's also loads of different versions of the cross. Now, the traditional version is thought to be a circle with a cross inside it. Bridget's crosses also pop up in other Gaelic areas as well, and it seems to be the only item to be woven, as it was traditionally a holiday where turning was forbidden. So think of weaving, ploughing, spinning. This was thought to have honoured the goddess Bridget, who had shown women how to make clothes and men how to work the land. Now it's said on the eve of Imolk, the goddess returns from the other world with her white cow and visits homes to bestow blessings. Strips of cloth, called Brat Brija, or Bridget's mantle, would be tied to doors. Now, on her rounds, she would bless the cloth, whereby it would bestow healing and protection properties for the wearer for the coming year, but on the grounds that it mustn't be washed. It was said to be quite powerful at healing headaches, and it could also be sewn into clothing. This was often done with children's items to protect them against the fae and changelings. Check out my fae or she episodes for more information on them. No, some households also left the front door open and the fire going in case the goddess needed to seek shelter and warm herself. And divination pops up around this. It was practiced in the morning after within the ashes of the fire in order to determine if she had stopped by. Similarly, ribbons were tied to a tree. The longer the ribbon had grown overnight, the bigger Bridget's blessing would be. Offerings in return to the goddess and to attract her attention were traditionally a loaf of bread placed on the windowsill together with an ear of corn or wheat for her white cow. Now, we also see offerings of milk made to the land and sea to ensure good yields from both as well.
Little dolls, called corn dollies or ridog, were made by younger women with straw or rushes. Thought to be a childlike representation of Bridget, a bed would also be made up for this little doll, and that was usually done by older women of the household, and then this was sat next to the fire to keep the doll warm. And this doll was actually used later on to ease anyone who was going through childbirth. Sometimes a doll, or the breedog, was taken door-to-door by children who would sing in return for money. And in return, the household who gave the money would receive Bridget's blessing. There was also something called the threshold rite, and this is quite an interesting one, and I quite like it. This was basically where a feast was prepared that involved potatoes. Now, the family goes about making a meal, but before nightfall, the head of the house, or a young woman or girl in some areas to represent Bridget, would collect a bunch of rushes and hide it in an outbuilding. Now, once night fell, the person would gather the rushes and walk clockwise around the property, and when reaching the front door, the person outside would declare, go down on your knees, open your eyes, and let St. Bridget in. And those inside would respond with, she is welcome, she is welcome. Now the person outside does another circuit and repeats this process a further two times, but after the third and final declaration, they would enter, be met by the veiled woman of the house, and place the rushes under the pot of potatoes. The meal would then be completed and served, and the rushes could be used to weave Bridget's cross, and in some cases they were wrapped in cloth, which would be used in the cloth tied to the door ritual, which I spoke about earlier, Bridget's mantle or Black Bridget. We also see a lot of weather divination around this time of year, and this kind of makes sense because... March is make or break. Traditionally, you start planting crops around that time, and March is a very volatile month in terms of the weather, so it kind of makes sense that we've got the need to start planting crops again, but there's still uncertainty around whether the weather is good enough to do so. So yeah, there is this idea of weather divination. And you might remember from my Witches of the Isle of Man episode with the Kalag Negruskeg, So basically, she's outcast by her community, and she arrives on the shores of the Isle of Man on February 1st, called Kalik Igrumig's Day, and she proceeds to gather sticks, she places them on her back to build a fire and dry herself out. Now, that spring that year was a wet one, disrupting the planting for the farmers, and now every February 1st, she repeats the tradition of building a fire to dry her clothes out. And if this day, February 1st, is a wet one, her sticks won't light and it will be a dry spring. And if it's a dry day, spring will be wet on account of her lighting her fire. And this looking to the weather to glimpse what it will look like further into the year, it's pretty common and it kind of makes sense if you are an ancient society that heavily relies on agriculture. You want to have as much confidence in the seasons and the weather as much as possible. And also widespread is this belief about the woman collecting sticks for her fire. This pops up all throughout the UK, particularly the north as well, and throughout Scotland and Ireland. And in Ireland, it was around this time as well where storms at sea begin to subside, and it marks the beginning of the fishing season. 
And similarly on this day, a practice that's particularly big in North America is Groundhog Day, whereby a groundhog, also known as a woodchuck, is used to determine whether spring will be early or late, by the creature selecting from one of two scrolls with the options. It's thought it was brought over by German or Dutch immigrants, and the first official Groundhog Day took place in the year 1887 in Pennsylvania. You might remember a few years ago, I think it was, when was it? I think maybe last year or the year before, the groundhog was actually dropped and it died. And that just wasn't seen as a good omen and animal rights advocates were all over it. And it just wasn't a good PR move for Groundhog Day. So Groundhog Day usually takes place on February 1st as well. We've also got Candlemas. I do want to talk about this. It's used interchangeably as a name for Imolk, but they are two very different celebrations. And this blending is because they fall so closely together as Candlemas takes place on the 2nd of February. They do have an overlap with certain themes, but they are very different. Candlemas is the Feast of Purification of the Blessed Virgin and marks the official end of Christmas. The earliest celebrations, it dates back to around the 4th century in Greece, and then it was adopted by the Catholic Church widespread by the 7th century. And in recent years, pagans have kind of taken inspiration from this event to practice candle magic, which has massive links to Bridget and fire. And as a result, Imolk is a really good time to bless any candles that you're going to use for any upcoming rituals. The aim of Imolk looks to honour Bridget, and to ensure a good milk supply for the year and a bountiful harvest generally. Increase is the word of this festival. Historically, it looks like women were more heavily involved in the festival, more so than men, on account of lactation linking them to the festival. We also have a lot of hearth activities, and this idea of the return of warmth. While stocks ran low in pantries and larders, the festival gave hope and renewal, and that sustenance was on the horizon, which is also why weather divination would have been important during this time, as everyone's mind would begin turning towards planting crops. And that is a wrap on Imolk. If you've enjoyed the show, give me a follow on Instagram, where you can stay up to date with what's happening in future episodes. You can find me at the Majors Well on there. And before I go, I just want to read out this little poem. It's called Bridget of the Judgments by Nora Chelson. There's a reference to the Lanhorn She, who you might remember from my Manx folklore episode, who is this fairy vampire-like being who sucks the soul out of her lovers. Like I said, you can learn more in my Folklore of the Isle of Man episode if you are intrigued. I am Bridget, wisdom, light. Ye, I am bride. I loosen all the knots that wrong has tied. I knot all threads that should be woven in one. I am the giver of laws. All evil done is on my heart until I may unravel its web with heavy tears and bitter travail. My hair is coloured like the heather honey, my brows are cloudy and my eyes are sunny. Judgment I hold in one hand, in the other pity. I am both maiden and mother. I am the judgment giver, but I give compassion to all burdened things that live, struggle and pray and are so prayed upon, because the work girl's hollow cheeks are wan. 
Mine are so pale, because the red ant dies under a careless foot, my deathless eyes are dark with dool. Because the red fox went, snarling to death, the lilies have no scent that are amid my breast knots tied, to show I am the mother of all that fade and grow. One man may call me wisdom, who has heard some darkling midnight stabbed through with my word. One man will call me light, who, eerie dies, gasps at my hand, and looks me in the eyes. I am no lanhorn she, I will not follow the soul that seeks me in the hollow. Lands where the moon is not, or any sun, no travail ended and no quest begun. I slay the man who called me law and strove to slay me, but one name of mine is love. Peace out, witches, and I'll see you at the crossroads. (laughs) 